Samuel chapter number 9. 1 Samuel chapter number 9. And for a few moments, I want to minister about Saul and the man of God. Man of God being Samuel. Saul and the man of God. And I, I want to show you that, that life is not filled with coincidences. But our lives are filled with providences, the direction of God, that you're here this evening not because of an accident. And when we gather, it's not a matter of chance, it's because God orders our steps. The reason our paths crossed at the time of our lives that it did cross is because God is so ordained and he put all these things in motion, but First Samuel chapter nine, beginning with verse one, and I'll read through verse six. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, of Zeror, of Bechoroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly, that's to say, beautiful in appearance. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders and upward. He was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, take now one of the servants with thee and arise and go seek the asses. He passed through the Mount Ephraim. He passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let's return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. He said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God. He is an honorable man, and all that he says comes surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. You can see in verse 6, that second sentence, in this city there's a man of God. That's why we say Saul and the man of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, it is a blessing to be able to punctuate this day in worship to you, but at the same time, Lord, in fellowship with the saints and hearing the word of God. So for a few moments, speak to all of our hearts. Help us to understand that it's you that guide our steps and our lives are not a matter, chance, and good luck. So God, we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chance is defined as a series of unpredictable events. There are a lot of people in this world who honestly believe that chance is almost like a person, with a personality, able to create some people say by chance, earth as we know it today was made. But chance is nothing more than a synonym when one is trying to describe odds. You're talking about a boxing match, gambling. What are the odds that this fighter will win? What are the odds against this team winning the Super Bowl? A thousand to one. Odds, chances. There are people who live like that and honestly believe that life is a series of accidents. I don't believe that. I've never believed that since I've been a Christian. Some people go so far as to chase after the tellers of fortune. 
They will find people who will take maybe a leaf from an oak tree, legs from an insect, maybe a rabbit's foot, several other things, and concoct some kind of a potion. And then pretty soon they'll just pour it out on the table and look at how all the bones and everything roll out. And then they'll say, well, according to what I'm reading here, the, the, the portents of this world are not in favor of you taking this trip. You'd be surprised how many people will not do something or make a decision because of that kind of a thing. We run into that around the world. However, there still are people that will open up the newspaper each day in the larger cities, and they cannot function until they first read the horrible scope. And they need to know if all the planets are properly aligned. Then they can make a decision. I think in this story, what we learn is that supernatural events can help us and they can help shape what it is that God has called us to do. Saul is one of the most misunderstood characters in the Bible, I think. Generally, people think he was democratically elected as king. And I've heard people say, well, Saul was the people's king. He was the one that they wanted. But that's not true. He was sovereignly chosen by God And I think his appointment to reign in Israel probably had as many significant miracles in it as did Cornelius when he was called by the Lord to receive the gospel from Peter. Then some people say, well, Saul represented the people. The people were sinful and stubborn and rebellious, so that's why God gave them Saul. But what king wouldn't have been a reflection of the people? David was an adulterer. Israel had committed adultery many times. There were no perfect kings. If you want to think about the leader of any country, the leader typically reflects people in the country, especially if people elect that kind of a leader. But what I want you to understand is that God himself chose this man, Saul, and it was a supernatural thing. God had told Samuel the day before that you're going to see a young man. It is him that I've chosen to reign over Israel. Scripture says, I believe it's in verse 15, the Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before. Supernatural thing. Well, that that tells you that if God can tell you when someone is coming, then God knows the future. He's omniscient. You ever thought about that? God knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows who you're going to meet tomorrow. There's a story in the Bible in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus tells the disciples, look, Passover is coming I want you two disciples to go into the city. When you go into the city, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. You follow that man where he is going and into whatever building he enters. I want you to go in and say to the owner, the master is coming and he wants to know, do you have a room prepared for him to celebrate Passover with his disciples? So sure enough, the disciples walked into the city. They saw a man carrying a pitcher. They followed the man with the pitcher of water, got to the home, and they said, do you have a place the master's coming? And he said, we do. Up the stairs, there's a room that's furnished. Now imagine that. Jesus, by the power of God, knew that this man would be there with the pitcher of water. God knew that Saul was coming. God understands exactly what's going on in your life. He sees the people you're going to meet tomorrow. He knows who you're going to meet 10 years from now. In fact, he knows if you're even going to be here in Hebron 10 years from now or in the surrounding area. And God is able to set up circumstances 
that will cause you to connect with certain people, but at the same time disconnect from other people in order for you to do the things that God wants you to do. He's omniscient. And had it not been for the fact that God is able to see the future, how would we have hope? Now, we use the word providence. Providence is connected with the word provision. It's connected with the word provide. Providence is simply seeing the ending from the beginning. God makes preparation for your future. The day you became a Christian, you stepped into the kingdom of God. God had provision for you. God never runs out of anything. He has an abundance of everything you will ever need and ever want. And I can assure you that in your relationship with him, from the moment you entered into the kingdom of God until the day you expire, God has everything that you need and he's going to make sure if you have a good heart, you get to where you need to be. Notice here in verse 1 then, it says that the last sentence of Saul's father, Kish, he was a mighty man of power. This man had wealth, he had influence. Verse 2 gives the description of Saul, an exceptional young man, a good-looking young man, and very, very tall. Well, this man was chosen to be king. When you think about his beginnings, they were pretty good. But how did he die? Separated from God. Chasing after witches. But yet in this chapter here, if you read it, you scratch your head because you just wonder how in the world could God have been ordering this man's steps like this. Now here's what I want you to understand. It's not how you begin, but it's how you finish. It's not your origins that are most important, but your destination. You may look in the mirror and think that you did not come from anything. You didn't arrive, arise from anything. But it's not who you came from, but it is where you're going, who you're born of. This man, Saul, he's starting off as a son of somebody with power and somebody with wealth. And he begins with the power of God at work in his life. Samuel even goes so far as to let him know that later on when you depart from me, you're going to find the donkeys you've been looking for. You're going to run with a company of prophets. You're going to be supernaturally transformed. He's a warrior and he's going to be a strong fighter. But when he dies, we see him cavorting with witches and trying to conjure up spirits. It's not how you begin. You've got to finish strong. This is where we learn from Saul. This is something he did not do. If you think about the day you became a Christian and you think about the the other people you have known who have named the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, I guarantee you can think of a few people who have fallen by the wayside somewhere. You have to ask yourself, what kind of ending will they have? Remember Judas? Jesus went to the top of the mountain, Luke chapter 6, prayed all night. Got the will of God, came to the foot of the hill, called all the disciples together that morning. Of all of those disciples of that mass, he chose 12 and said, you're going to be my apostles. Of those 12, one was named Judas. Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 3, Luke tells us also he gave them power to heal the sick, to cast out devils. He said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Go into the different towns and villages. That's what they did. All 12 of them had this power. All 12 of them evangelized. All 12 of them saw the miracles. All 12 of them had the power of God in their hands, and they all rejoiced when they saw it. That's how they began in the fire. But what happened with Judas? 
Judas became so acquainted with Jesus, he had heard so many sermons, he had prayed for many people, seen so many miracles that they became commonplace to him. You know, if you're not careful, the things that, that you appreciated in the beginning, you won't appreciate in the long run if you don't keep your heart right. I've seen that happen with a lot of preachers in churches. They get excited when they come to a new church, and then after two or three years, they're not as excited as they once were. I've seen congregations excited to have a pastor, someone minister the word of God to them, and they're excited when he gets there, but after they've heard him preach 50 or 60 times, the excitement has now worn off, and the rust is appearing on that old vehicle of his. So when we think of our relationship with God, we don't ever want to become so acquainted with him that we begin to take advantage of God, lose sight of who he is, take him for granted. Judas, in the end, betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, and a lot of people have given the Lord up and betrayed him for even less. Money is a powerful thing. The devil said, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. How much would you like to receive in order for you to sacrifice your faith in God? What would you give in exchange for your soul? If you're going to finish strong, you've got to learn from Saul. You've got to learn from Judas. The scripture then tells us in verse number 3 of 1 Samuel 9 that this man Kish, he had some livestock here, and, and, and these donkeys of his were lost. It was a father had had concern, and he wanted to retrieve them and recover what was lost. But it's interesting to me that in a story like this, that God would use something that to me seems insignificant, like some donkeys, just to cause a story like this to go forward. The smallest things, some lost donkeys. How did God get the story of Joseph going? Joseph had some dreams. Dreams didn't put the plan into effect. What put the plan into effect was when dad sat down and stitched a coat that had a lot of colors in it. He gave it to his son. Once he gave it to Joseph, his brothers got jealous. They envied him. They said, I can't stand him because daddy loves him more than me. So they said, when he comes, let's strip the coat off him and let's sell him to the nearest, nearest neighbors or somebody that comes by. So that's exactly what they did. They put him in a pit, stripped the coat off him and sold him to some Ishmaelites that are on their way to Egypt. And they had no idea that that coat had put into plan God's design to save Jacob's family during the famine. This here has to do with some donkeys. The scripture says in verse 3, Kish told his son, take one of the servants and you go. And that's exactly what he did. The concern of the father here was so great that he sent his son. Now this dad had power. He had money. They didn't have to worry about anything. You can see in verse 4 and 5, they traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. And in all of their journeys and travels, just like all of us, we tend to get weary. This man, Saul, said eventually, after going to all these places, why don't we go home? You ever got weary from working? I mean, you know you have to work, but you ever gotten weary from that? Imagine having thousands of acres, and you do have some goats or some sheep. Or some cattle. And some of them get away. And then you've got all of them kind of herded in one area. Then you're counting and you realize three are gone. And then dad says, now look, you need to go out there and find those three. Because that is money. That's money. 
Could be some kind of food or subsistence for, for some kind of family. So you're out here traversing the great plains of Nebraska in the heat, spending the night out under the stars in inclement weather. Sometimes it's cold at night and you're going through all of that. And everywhere you go, you don't see what you're looking for. And eventually you start thinking to yourself, why don't we give this up and go home? And a lot of people have. A lot of people have ventured out into the gospel work and found the way a bit tedious. And then they turn around and go back and say, I can't do this. I've seen people go to the mission field intending to be there for years and they're home in nine months or three. One time, I'll give you another example. One time when I was living in Israel, I wanted to go stay on a kibbutz to learn Hebrew. And this was my first plan to learn Hebrew. And a kibbutz is a place that's run like a communist, uh, kind of like a, a town. Every house is the same. You work for free. There were two or three cars in the village, and you had to sign up to get, on, get your name on the, uh, the uh, little list in order to use the car. You say, well, how do they make money? Everybody works together in farming, and then they sell the produce and then the ones with the most kids, they get a little bit more money than the people that don't have as many kids. And, and, and it just kind of works like that. No one has a kitchen in their home where you cook. You go into the mess hall and they do it all right there for you. And, and so <clears throat> it was my plan to go there because I knew on that place there would be very few people who knew English. And, and my friend, he drove me four hours in Israel to take me to this kibbutz. I had all my bags packed. And, and he he dropped me off. And I mean, we said our goodbyes and hugged and everything like that. And he said, I hope your Hebrew studies go well here. And I said, praise the Lord. And, and he left. And then the, I called and set it up beforehand. So the people came and got me and they showed me to my room and they took me to this room that looked like a prison cell. There was no carpet in there. It was all stone and concrete. For a toilet, there, there, there was just a a a. a a little toilet sitting in the corner. There's nothing covering it up. So, I mean, if you're sitting there, I mean, you're looking at who's ever coming through the door. One of those kind of a deal. That, that commode was just right there in the, in the open. And, and the sink looked like it, it hadn't been cleaned in I don't know how long. And so I, I walked around and just was trying to get to know some people and stuff like that. And, and they didn't act like they were too interested in, in, in having me around. And most of them were speaking English well enough where I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to pick up any Hebrew if everybody's talking in English. And so after taking my bags and setting them on the bed, I didn't really have a bed. I had what looked like a military cot, but my Marine Corps bed was better than this bed here because at least then I had a mattress about that thick. In the kibbutz, I had one about that thick, and you could see the springs just kind of, you know, just pushing everything like that. So I sat down, and I thought to myself, Oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to do this for years. I'll run out of money, and I'll be stuck here for the rest of my life. So since I still had some money, you know, you know what I did? I, I called the cab. And the, the cab came and picked me up, and I paid, I can't even remember how much money, for a four-hour drive back to Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, when I got back to Jerusalem, I unloaded my stuff, went back up to that top floor where I was staying in the building that Christ the Nations owned, and my friend came home. I beat him home in the cab, the one that brought me. So I, I was 
I was weary here. I said, there's no way I'm going to do this. So I, I, I returned. So I understand what this man Saul is going through. He, he's thinking this is going to be unfruitful. But the servant says, look, there's a man of God around here. Let's not give up just yet. He said, we don't have a lot to take him for a gift. But, but I do think if we go, he will show us the way that we should go. And that's exactly what happened. Now, notice here in verse number six, he said, in this city is a man of God. In this city. Now, we, we have in this story, I think, a beautiful picture of the father and the son. Our father being a person of might and strength and power, so concerned about what was lost, that he sent his own son out there to recover the lost sheep of Israel, to preach to the lost sheep of Israel. And when you look at the story in the gospel of Jesus traveling all throughout Israel, you see supernatural things and miracles taking place all over the place. Simply because he had a father that was concerned about these donkeys. Now, donkeys are stubborn and and, and we all can be that way sometimes. And sometimes our stubbornness has to put other people in the mode of recovery because we're in sin. We're not doing what's right. But thank God the Lord always has people he can talk to to come get you and speak to you even when you don't want to be found. To be so mule-headed where you just want to wander around with, with a few of your friends and, and, and you're unsupervised and you don't even, you're oblivious to the fact that God's got people out here and he's organizing their steps and they're out here looking for you. So even before you really became a Christian, turned on to God and on fire and passionate for God, the Lord still had people out here stomping and tramping through the grounds trying to reach you. But I know what it is to, to get lost. My, 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 my early years, I became a Christian. I was on fire for the Lord. But my senior year in high school, I, I made the decision, oh, my, this is going to be my last year. And, and I, I need to have some fun my senior year. And, and, and these little gals around here are kind of cute in my, my senior year. And, and so b- before I knew it, Mr. Darrell had, had kind of wandered out here into sin. And, and I can remember coming home at night, I always kept a Bible right by my bed. And I can remember pulling open that drawer and looking at that Bible and that Bible looking at me and then just starting to cry because I was under so much conviction. Yeah, under conviction. And God had people, little by little, working on me. Daryl, what didn't happen to you? What's wrong with you? Talking to me, things like that. And I'll never forget, right before I went to the Marine Corps, I was laying on my face in the basement on the floor, just crying out to God, apologizing to God, and and, and never had a problem walking away from him again. You see, it's easy to get lost. You, know? you make one bad decision, you can go astray. You make two bad decisions, it can put you far out where you miss with the things that you need from God. It's like having a satellite on the side of your house. If you're off just by an inch and a half, you may never get a signal. See, there'll be no images on that that television. So the scripture tells us here that this man said, let's go see the man of God. And that's exactly what they did. They said he's an honorable man. But what is it about, the, about this man that was so special? Well, Samuel was reared in the tabernacle. His mother Hannah wanted kids for a long time. She was unable to conceive. And, and, and her husband, a good, good man that he was, he's trying to comfort her. And he says to her, have not been better to you. Than ten sons. 
She says, it's not about ten sons. It's about that one that I want. Just want one. Well, she ended up having that baby and named him Samuel. The name Samuel means God heard me, essentially, is what, what that saying, God hears. And so every time somebody called Samuel by name, that was a testimony to the fact that God listens. She weaned that baby, took that baby up to the tabernacle, just like she promised God. You, you let me have a child, I'll give him to you to serve you all the days of his life in the house of God. She went up there, dropped that boy off at the tabernacle. Could you have done that? Could you have taken one of your sons and dropped him off at the church and said to the pastor, he's yours as long as he's alive. I'll just come by and wave at him every now and then. That's what Hannah did. And Eli wasn't the best of leaders. I mean, goodness, he he wasn't even good with his own kids. His own kids were sinners. But this woman dropped her son off with Eli, despite the fact that Eli's kids were menaces to society. And the scripture talks about how being raised in that, that tabernacle, God began to deal with him in his youth. Now, if this teaches us anything, it teaches us why we need people in our lives to speak to us and mentor us and help disciple us, teach us. Every guy needs men, a man in their life to talk to them. Every woman, girl, needs ladies in their life to be an example to them. Iron sharpens Iron. He that has a friend has somebody sticks closer than a brother. When you have somebody in your life to help mold and shape your character, your values, and go out of their way to, to, to shape the way that you think, that's always a permanent thing in your life. It becomes an anchor that helps you. You think about some of those old saints that years ago that you remember, maybe they, maybe they didn't play any instruments, but, but they sure were godly, gave you a lot of good advice. Maybe they, they weren't preachers, but they didn't know how to pray. They didn't mind talking to you. When other people didn't have any patience for you at all, they'd sit down and just say, come right on in, honey, sit here at the table. I'll make us a cup of tea, and we'll sit here. We'll just talk all about this Jesus to fix you right on up. And then you go through all of that, and then you remember years from now how important it was to have somebody like that in your life. That's what Samuel had. Man of God isn't born, he's made. A woman of God isn't born, she's created, she's formed in that way. What's my role as a pastor? To help try to conform you to the image of Christ. Secondly, help you have a powerful witness so you can influence people outside the walls of the church. Thirdly, to get you to heaven. Help you to see how important it is to serve God. David Wilkerson was a man that walked away from a ministry in a rural area of Pennsylvania. I think he had a Church of over a hundred and something people said he'd go out out and walk in the woods and pray and talk to God. But he saw in the newspaper about some kids that were gang members, gotten themselves in trouble. While he was reading that, God spoke to his heart and said, how long are you going to stay right out here in the middle of all of this where these people hear the gospel over and over again and you not go and preach to them gang members? David Wilkerson walked away from that rural place, went to New York City, down in the Times Square area at the time when he arrived before he started Times Square Church it was known for triple x theater movies it was known for prostitutes selling themselves on the streets drug use everywhere that man preaching to gang members one man Nicky Cruz he's trying to witness to Nicky Cruz who was a gang member Nicky Cruz said if you keep preaching this stuff to me I'll pull this knife out I'll cut you up in a thousand pieces 
And little skinny David Wilkerson said, if you do, a thousand pieces on the ground will be saying, I love you, Nikki. I love you, Nikki. I love you, Nikki. David Wilkerson built a great church, several thousand people, before he turned it over to someone and passed away. But even David Wilkerson had a mentor. He had a pastor that shaped his thinking. He had a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. If you've ever read any of his books, great teacher of prayer. Wrote a classic book called Why Revival Tarries. And Leonard Ravenhill was raised in England, but he became an early preacher, an outdoor preacher in his youth, and then came here to America and then began to travel across the states, holding meetings in, in different places. Very well respected. Many people thought he was a prophet of God. He was the one that read all the sermons of the 17th century preachers, the Puritans, and introduced David Wilkerson to that and got him away from all this light reading. These full gospel, these contemporary full gospel teachers who don't do anything but teach on the anointing and on the gifts and got him on some deep stuff regarding the Puritans. William Gurnall, Christian in Complete Armor, big thick books, 1400 pages. But even Leonard Ravenhill had somebody that discipled him, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a Christian Missionary Alliance minister who preached for many years in the States and then later in Canada. But he helped shape the thinking of Ravenhill. So this man Samuel was a man of God and he was honorable because of what had been put in him. Then, of course, this man had sons himself that were just like Eli's. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes the people in the Bible, the greatest ministers, the wonderful ministers, usually have some kind of a crippled limp or defect in their life. Jacob was a man of God, but he wrestled with that angel and ended up with a problem in his leg. Most of the ones you read about in the scripture have something that they're wrestling with, something that they're dealing with. Solomon, David, sure it was lust. Man can't have a thousand wives and not wrestle with that. David, conspiring, commit adultery, get a man killed. There's a problem there. There's always this secret thing going on. But this man, Samuel, he was raised to be a prophet of God, respected. He didn't let any of the words of God fall to the ground, but yet the scripture makes it very plain. He also had children that were wicked. Now, I'll tell you this, parents, don't, don't ever allow your relationship with God to be defined by whether or not your, good, your kids do right or wrong. Don't, don't ever allow your life and your calling to be defined by whether or not somebody obeys God or disobeys God. If Samuel would end up being so heartbroken over his sons that he could not perform the calling of God and be a judge in Israel going from village to village. Can you imagine how different the Bible would be had he just simply said, since my kids won't do right, I'm not going to live right. I'm not even going to serve God. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to live for God and set the example if they all backslide and go away. In the end, Samuel told Saul what to do. Saul and the servant walked into the village. They said, do you know if the man of God is here? The lady said, he just got here. He just got here. If you go to the top of the hill and you'll wait, he'll be up there because everybody's waiting for him to eat. And they're not going to eat until he blesses the sacrifice. He gets up there, and as Saul is walking towards Samuel, Samuel hears that voice that he heard the day before. And the voice says to him this time, there's the man I told you about yesterday. 
Samuel looked at Saul, sat him down at that meal, fed him real good, and told him afterwards, can I anoint you with oil? I need to do something before I let you go. Pour that oil on him and said, you're called of God to reign in Israel. Saul had no idea all these things were going to happen when he started looking for some donkeys. Sometimes the simplest thing turned out to be the miraculous thing. Then Samuel said, by the way, I know you're looking for those animals. If you go three miles around the corner, go down in that valley, you'll see them down there in that ravine. They're down there eating, having a good time. You can take them back home. But he said, you're going to come into, a, come into the, the, uh, the presence of some people that are going to be prophesying. That spirit's going to come on you and yourself also. You're going to become transformed into somebody different. That's exactly what happened. So what I'm telling you is that this trip that Saul embarked on turned out to be a blessing for him. Here was a man that was ready to go back, but a servant told him not to give up. And because he didn't give up, he became king. But had he returned, he'd have never sat on that throne. Sometimes when you're thinking about giving up, you need to realize just because you feel a little bit tired and you're exhausted from being a Christian and it just seems like serving the Lord is becoming a difficulty. And I pray, Pastor, but it doesn't get answered. And I pray again, Pastor, doesn't get answered. I pray and it doesn't get answered. I witness to people and they don't listen. I witness again and they don't listen. I give to people and sow into people and bless people, but it doesn't seem like the blessings come back to me. The moment you start thinking about returning and giving back and going back, going back to that old life, I'm telling you, you're this close to the blessing God has for you. That's why God gave the Holy Ghost. So the spirit of God inside of you would be able to tell you, don't give up. God's got this under control. Yeah. So the steps of a good man are ordered, even when that good man has no idea where God is taking him. That's what you need to know. Yeah. If you feel like you're lost tonight, like those donkeys were, you feel like every path in your life is equally confusing. You've got to find the man of God that can show you the way. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, truth, and the life. That's the man of God. I hadn't preached this message to try to turn you to me, but turn you to him. He can show you the way. And if you seek him. He'll let you, he'll help you to recover everything that's been lost and he'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Let's stand tonight. Saul and the man of God. Mm. The other day, Tiffany and I had to go up to uh, Valentine again up in South Dakota there and do a wedding. And we're we're making that drive. We're, We're coming back and we remember when we were going up, the lady at the gas station said to us, you better fill up here because from here to there, <laughs> you're not going to see a whole lot. Oh, I said, what can she possibly be talking about? I mean, goodness. <laughs> this is Nebraska. Uh, gas stations everywhere. <laughs> so, but, but we went on and filled up. But, but you know, you, you get an hour, hour, 15 minutes into the drive, and you've only passed three cars. And you're wondering, what in the world? How does anybody even live out here? And, and, and then we just kept driving, and, and we kept driving and driving, and we weren't seeing any houses. And 
I'm thinking, if somebody's car breaks down here in the middle of the night, what direction do you even start walking? Because the cell phones didn't work out there. I couldn't get a text out, couldn't make a phone call. I think that would be a situation where somebody would be praying, Lord, show us the way. That's a natural illustration, but there are a whole lot of people living for Christ, and they feel exactly like that now. God, I don't know how to get to where I'm supposed to be, and I feel like I'm running out of gas. You don't have to. Jesus can supply everything you need. Come on, let's lift our hands toward heaven. Father, we're grateful tonight that you are the supplier of abundance. You're the prevailing God that has helped us prevail over so many circumstances in our life. We love you. We worship you. And with our own lips right now, God, we offer unto you sacrifices of praises. Thank you for our health, our life, our strength, our family. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this building. I thank you for our homes and for our vehicles. I thank you for the clothing that's on my back and in the closet. We thank you, God, for our cupboards being being filled with food, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. We glorify your name. God, give clarity and wisdom and insight to anybody that's here tonight seeking your face, looking for direction. God, fill us up tonight so not a person feels like they need to return and go back to that world. God, let us live for you. Help us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's telling us to go on, go on and trust you. We honor you tonight and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.